welcome to Strangers Shopping Strangers, podcast number 50. Big welcome back to anyone who's returning, and thanks for stopping in to anybody who's new this week. On May 26, 2016, I launched my first podcast ever. And it's a welcome and intro with, you know, what I was hoping to do with the concept of Strangers Stopping Strangers, a podcast from a deadhead with deadheads for deadheads and all of the amazing music that's inspired us along the way. This intro is still up as the very first entry on my website. Well, 16 months, 48 incredible guests with amazing stories and music later, the idea was planted, what about me? You know, my journey and stories and uh, the origins of the podcast. I asked my friend Michael Sheridan, who was podcast number 12 and the first repeat guest, if he would do the honors and have the conversation, which admittedly is less of a conversation and about 85% of me talking. I, uh, you know, I really, I can't express enough gratitude for everybody who's been involved in every way, shape or form. The strangers who I've met, who have now become friends, to my friends and family, especially the family that I live with, my husband and my kids who've supported me on this crazy adventure and uh, borderline obsession and everything that's gone with it. Uh, I will say this is going to be one of the briefest intros to date because, you know, really all of the information and more is in the podcast. So I hope everybody enjoys and thank you so much for tuning in today, in the past and in the future and uh, much love to all and I'll catch you soon. Stace Smith, welcome to Stranger Stopping Stranger. Well, thank you for having me, Michael Sheridan. It is a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure for me to be here for this uh, extremely important podcast of yours. What's going on here? So this is the 50th podcast, the 50th podcast. And uh, for those who remember you, Michael Sheridan was one of my heavily downloaded and enjoyed podcast, podcast number 12. And uh, it's kind of been in the ether for a while where people have said, hey, what about somebody interviewing you? And um, so this is it. This is number 50. We're going to turn the tables and, and hear a little bit about my journey and everything that led to uh, led me up to this day. This is great because I've been intrigued and, and uh, I haven't asked, for some reason, some of the questions I know you're going to answer, I never asked you before. And then when you told me about this, I'm like, cool, I'll finally get to the answers of Stacy about how this journey started with her and her, her podcast and her, her story about the Grateful Dead has got to be just as interesting as any of ours, and I'm just excited. Well, I'm excited to share it, and you know, I think, I think all of our stories are special. That's what's special about the community and the podcast is everybody, you know, it's always coming from the heart, and everybody's got their reasons for their feelings and their things in the beginning of their journey, and, and whether it's listening to music or going to music or seeing the Grateful Dead or seeing different, you know, incarnations of the band, everyone is so passionate that I've spoken to, and you know, obviously I'm passionate because... Here I am with this podcast, so I'm, I'm super excited to be able to share, you know, kind of what got me on the bus and, and, and where we are. So thank you. Yeah, for- what you got going on, what you got going on, I would say that you're passionate. <laughs> Dead to the core. That's what I like to say. Dead to the core. <laughs> there you go. I, I guess we'll uh, start at the beginning like we usually do, you know, a little bit about how so, I... Stacy, tell me how this started. 
and let me warn the, the some of your listeners out there. We talk on the phone all the time. We're pretty good friends now. I, I saw you in SPAC each time we met in SPAC, and then I, I met you in person the next year in SPAC. And uh, I'll try to do my best. We tend to talk over each other. So, Stacy, please, tell us your story. Thank you. And if we talk over each other, then it just means we're having that much more fun. So, okay. Well, my story started, I'm a Bay Area girl. I'm a Peninsula girl, Bay Area girl, San Francisco girl. And honestly, my journey started before I even knew it. Uh, when I was four years old in 1977, my family moved to Atherton, California. Somewhere when I was about maybe seven or eight or nine, I remember the neighbors talking about how Bob Weir had lived at the house and that they used to have these really cool, um, or he had at least one really cool band playing out in the yard. There was a big yard uh, surrounded by you know, the neighbors. You lived in Bob Weir's house? I grew up in the same house that Bob Weir grew up in. Why is it taking so long to find out? That's amazing. So, yeah, no, I, I can't believe I haven't told you this before. All right. So, Michael and listeners, yeah, Bob, where and I grew up at the same home, 89 Tuscaloosa, Atherton, California. So, we perhaps grew up looking out the same window, or he grew up looking out the wow. same window as my sister. Wow. Yeah, I don't know which window it was. <laughs> But it was the same address. It was the same home. Uh, and really, the home was pretty much the same because, you know, his, his family sold it. There was one owner in between. And, you know, it was like a total funky 70s ranch. Like, we, we really didn't do much to it. So when I look at the pictures when I was a kid and the pictures from the documentary when he goes home, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same spot. It's the same background. It's the same diving board, pool. So, yeah, it started, you know, way back, early days. His energy got to you, man. Furniture holds stuff. That's that's really heavy, man. Well, and my sister too, right? I mean, because she's a big deadhead yeah. as well. No coincidence there. That's that's when the seed was planted. Absolutely. So it starts there, yeah. but you know, I'm a kid and I'm I'm not really don't have much of a wherewithal. So we'll go up to 1987, and that was when my parents were splitting up. And you know, as anyone whose parents have split up, you know, you get through it, but you need a little spiritual grounding. And that's where my mm -hmm. Auntie Annie jumps in. And my Auntie Annie, of course, she was she was big part of the scene. I talk about her in my original intro. Graduated from high school in San Francisco, 1969. I mean, she was at all the shows at the in, you know the park, and I mean, she was a really vibrant part of the community. So you know, whereas living in Bob Weir's house was lost on me as a child, of course, it was never lost on her. And um, she would, you know, play the music. And my original memory from the dead was Auntie Annie always saying, when I die, I want you to play Ripple at my funeral. And that's my first <laughs> memory, right, is my crazy Auntie Annie, my, my spiritual mother of sorts, saying, when I die, you'll be in charge of the music, and I want Ripple played. So that's, that's kind of when kind of it comes into focus a little bit. You know, now I've kind of honed in on the music, but still – I don't know, you know, still just kind of, of learning. So my sister starts going to shows. This is 1987, and we're in the Bay Area, and podcast, she talks a little bit about those experiences. You know, I'm in eighth grade, and I want to go to the shows, but I'm, you know, I'm 13 years old and not quite there yet. So that's really where, you know, the Grateful Dead enters our life is, you know, my my Auntie Annie playing the music and Michelle starting to go to the shows and me being a little sister who looked up to my big sister was like, wow, this is something I want to do. Parents splitting up and um, the music was, was there for me. All signs point to yes. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, and again, I think that part of the story is very much the same for all of us. Like, you know, you're in a transitional time of your life, and you have this music, and all mm -hmm. of a sudden, it's this, uh, it's this raft out there that you can hold on to. It's something. It's a family you can join. It's an identity that you can you can carry. And um, and I think that was that was really the beginning of becoming a deadhead um, when I was, you know, maybe a freshman in high school, new school. Wow, this. Um, this is going to get me through. This is this is going to be my thing. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the fact of when you became a deadhead, and I I, I give this probably way too much thought, but I, I've come to the conclusion. I think I might have said this to you before that even though you had the story about the ether and and Bob's house, I think for the most of us, we've had the spirit of a deadhead before we ever heard a song. Like we were always this type of person, this adventurous, adventure seeking, music loving family of I want to take care of people and be nice to people and I think that the Grateful Dead just fit our own narrative I completely agree I mean I think it lives within you and then you have that moment where it takes flight there it you comes. know no I, I completely agree with you and I would say yeah, freshman year you know like that was when that was you know that's kind of when it, it it really began and Michelle's in college yeah. and I'm in a new school and you know I that's my thing that's what I love you know and then like everyone you know you kind of have your first experience so you know on this podcast I got to pick my own songs which I will say was so hard um it's funny I always hear people saying oh god how do you just narrow it down and I absolutely went through the same process trying to narrow it down. But um, I'm going to start at the beginning. And uh, my first show was April 30th, 1988. And it was at Frost Amphitheater. I mean, to those of you who have been to uh, the Bay Area back in the 80s, in fact, the previous podcast, Rob Levitsky and I talk about Frost. I mean, it was just the most idyllic, beautiful venue that you could ever go to. It was on, it's on Stanford's campus. It was Stanford's Amphitheater. So very small, open, you know, spring shows, eucalyptus trees. I mean, just just a just a really magical place. So my first show was with Auntie Annie and my sister, and yeah, we went to Frost. And uh, the song that I picked out to play for everyone is "Shakedown Street." And to be awesome. honest, I don't even really remember. I I feel like I've really come to to be in touch with myself and how I resonate the memories. And I don't really have specific songs for specific shows. I mean, I have just an overall feeling of that time. And so when I looked back at the show, I, I simply selected Shakedown because ugh, it's just one of my favorite songs. I just fucking love that song. So it, it seemed like the awesome. right way to, to go, right? Mm -hmm. So let's yeah. hear it. Let's do it. Let's, 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 go. Uh, let's go Shakedown, let's Shakedown Street. <laughs> Got to poke around. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, we're going to shake it back to Shakedown Street in Frost, uh, April 30th, 1988. And then uh, we'll come back and uh, go on to the next step. Thank you. 
Shakedown Street. So there it was. You started your journey, 1988. Frost, what happens next? Well, so after, you know, the first show, I'm like locked and loaded. I'm in. Like, I've, I've met my people. This is where I belong. And, and, and this is this is who I am. So I think it was, uh, I think going to the first show was, was a defining moment of, you know, it's something I've always loved. But now, now I feel like I'm part of it. Now, like, this is it. This is this is for me. And um, this is who I am. So this is going into sophomore year in high school. So teenage years, moving along. Um, I think probably the next kind of significant thing would be to say the summer between uh, 1989 and 1990, I went on a trip to Israel. And I went to this trip to Israel with 60 other 16-year-old Jewish kids in the Bay Area. And instead of going with my group, I elected to go with the people from San Francisco and Marin County which, again, gets a little bit adventurous, always wanting to branch out and, you know, try new things and new people. And Let me ask the, you. Yeah. We went from 88. Now we're going to Israel in 89. Between the time you started and this time on this great trip that I can't wait to hear about, by how many shows do you think you saw? How much of the culture have you started to actually absorb between that time? I would say about five or six shows. I remember I going... Yeah, like it's something at Shoreline. I remember going to the Oakland Coliseum. I remember meeting my sister and her friends um, from Davis where she was going and meeting them in Oakland. Yeah, I would say I did another set of Frost because they played the next year. And I remember the Oakland Coliseum outdoor shows and, you know, had, had dipped my toe in the water enough for a 15, 16-year-old where I felt like, yeah, I go to dead shows. 
I'm cool. All right. Sorry to cut you off, cut you off there. Continue. No, no, no. No, again, not not much for, you know, again, I'm dealing, you're, you're 15, you're 16 years old, you don't have a lot of money, you don't drive, you know, so I was definitely at the hands, at the fate of uh, finances, rides, logistics, things of that nature. But um, I definitely oh. pursued it. So then I go to Israel, and I still remember the flight out and wearing the little shirt that had the dancing bears on it that said, nothing left to do but smile, smile, smile. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, bring in all my gear. I have the, the tie-dye shirt that has the big happy face on it, which my kids now call the emoji shirt, which is so funny because, you know, in 1899, it was just a happy face. And, uh, you know, I go on this trip, and I am the deadhead hippie girl. And this is significant because I meet my friend Wendy, and Wendy is still, to this day, one of my absolute best friends, and she'll kind of be floating through this whole podcast as just a real anchor to my experiences. But uh, meeting Wendy on the Israel trip was um, absolutely a game changer in terms of, uh, you know, what what was in store, because when we got back... You know, we were friends in Israel, but when we got back, it was like, okay, I've met other people that, you know, that I want to experience this with. And so that was really the core to our friendship. Mm-hmm. And after that, it was, um, you know, I made some friends in high school, my friend Kat, hey, Kat, and uh, and her boyfriend, Dan. And, you know, there was definitely bit, picked up some momentum. And then that next phase was... Uh, you know, it was like going to Shoreline and, and going to see Jerry at the Warfield. And, you know, I just, I don't have like a real specific this, that. In my overall memory, which we share on the first podcast, which I made Wendy be a guest for, is uh, <laughs> just, you know, standing at Shoreline and listening to Franklin's Tower. And uh, just, we had like a little dance that went with it. And uh, Did you say skipping? Well, we were skipping, we were dancing, we had like a little dance to roll away the no, dew. No, too. We all remember our skipping. I think we all skip at some point at one of our first shows. It's a skipping place. Yeah, just skipping along the top and the little hand movements and, you know, just the parking lot and the vibe. And, and at this point, I meet Lamore, and Lamore Farber is one of Wendy's good friends. And so we met via Coming to Dead shows. So Lamore's Wendy's friend and becomes my friend via the shows, and um, that's kind of the next little little time. It's it's, it's high school. Um, an antidote I like to say is uh, when Shoreline in uh, 1991, when the Shoreline shows were in May, I chose going to a dead show over prom. Like that was <laughs> that was uh, that was the, the general vibe going on. You know, like if there was a show, we were there, and. You know, we didn't get into every show. Sometimes it was just the parking lot. I remember going to the Greek Theater in 1989 and and, and just being outside. And, and, you know, like it was just, it was whatever you could get at that time. You know, whatever much money you had, wherever you could go, whoever you could meet, whatever you could do. No doubt. You know, I think. uh, We all know that so well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's like in today's day with like the debt of company tickets and everything being so expensive. I mean, it's like on one oh, hand. Oh, don't get me going. Oh, well, I know. Well, I'm addressing this for everyone listening. And it's just, it's such an interesting thought to me because on one hand, yeah, it's a, it's a big priority and it's a lot of money when I, when I do these things. But it's, when I think back to, you know, when the ticket prices were 1650 or 1850, the irony is, is when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I mean, I simply didn't have that money, you know? I mean, it wasn't a matter of a credit card or a matter of reshuffling and reprioritizing. Like, when we were kids, I mean, we went to shows, but, like, if you had that 20 bucks, you had it. And if you didn't, you were just going to go to the parking lot. That was it. There was no getting in because you just didn't have the 20 bucks. I never did that. No? 
I never would hang out in the parking lot. I, I know it's bad. I, I, I never went to a parking lot I didn't, didn't get in. I went to a bunch of parking lots without tickets, but I've never been denied. One time I had to break in. I'm not proud of it. I don't know if we really asked for the miracles. I mean, I feel like it was, you know, we would go and we would hang out and we would do the vending and we, you know, the drum circle and, and do all of that. And sometimes we'd get in and sometimes we wouldn't. But I don't ever remember really doing a miracle. Like I was always just either in or just cool with just hanging out there. I don't know. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I'm thinking of going along, and, I mean, another hugely significant night was New Year's Eve. My first New Year's Eve show, I got to go with Kat again. Hey, Kat. And um, that was so fun. That was 1990 into 91, and we went with uh, Charlie Miller, who is um, kind of a well-known man among the scenes on the taper. He was taping back then. and it I know the name very well. Yeah, so we were friends with Charlie. Charlie lived on the peninsula, and we'd hang out with him sometimes, and Charlie and Kat and I all went to the New Year's Eve, and uh, I remember being all dressed up, and I had brown hair, and Kat had blonde hair, and we called ourselves Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I only listen to Charlie Miller soundboards, by the way. Well, Charlie, if, Charlie, if you're listening to this, hey now, <laughs> a big part of the experience. And, uh, we love you. We love you, Charlie. Thanks for all the kind music. Um, yeah, no, his, his, his soundboards are amazing. And, uh, you know, that was really fun. And then, again, it all just, you know, it all melts into a dream. I think of, you know, again, Shoreline. I think of Cal Expo and Greek theater. And, and now that I'm really thinking back to it, I mean, it's, it's I guess I'm one of those deadheads that just has, you know, just like the overall sweeping experiences, but, but not that many specifics. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> so, my, my, my very first show, obviously, I've told you a million times, was Stack. And there's three things I remember. Uh, the guy hanging off the balcony, me skipping, and uh, Johnny B. Good, uh, Uncle. Yeah. Well, again, okay, it's so amazing just to talk to all these people and, and to really, like, take a minute to self-reflect how, you know, we all come from it from such a different place, you know. I mean, like, some sometimes it's just, like, this broad stroke and sometimes it's a fine line, you know. Like, we're all – everyone's experiences are different, but it all kind of brings us to the same place. Oh, for sure. I mean – all of our stories are, are so similar, but absolutely, totally different. And in the end, it's, it's, it's this music, this experience, this, this life that brings us all together. Absolutely. No, it's, uh, it's, it, it's been fun really kind of like do being reflective and thinking back after, you know, speaking to so many amazing people. But I did have one experience, and this is probably, well, this isn't, I did have one experience, and this is the first repeat experience on the podcast, which makes perfect sense because I'm going to tell the same story that my sister talked about on her podcast, and that is New Year's Eve 1991 and 92. So I think when she thought back, she had some different stories, and I think back, and I have some different stories, but I think where, the, where, the, where our roads meet is New Year's Eve 91 to 92 because with that said about everything being, you know, everything just being a colorful memory, when I think back to that specific show – it's as clear as being on the tip of a pinpoint, you know, like I remember it like it was yesterday. And, wasn't that uh, the one that closed the, the Coliseum? Wasn't that the last New Year's show at Coliseum? It was the last New Year's show at Coliseum. It was right after Bill Graham died. So Bill Graham died in um, October. And so this was, uh, this was the last New Year's Eve show they had at the Coliseum. I almost remember where I was when Bill Graham died more than I remember. It's true. I don't know where I was when I found out Jerry died. I know exactly what I was doing when I found out that his helicopter got caught by power lines leaving a Huey Lewis concert I was crushed 
Where were you? I was in uh, San Ramon. I was in my house. Uh, a friend had called me. Uh, he knew my story about how I met Bill once, and I don't know if that's on your podcast, but I was at Cal Expo when he put his arm around me out of nowhere while I was staring at a picture. It's the Veneta, Oregon picture with the spinners, famous picture. And all of a sudden, I'm so tripping, staring at this picture, and he, uh, all of a sudden, an arm comes around me from the left, and on my right, I see this hand on my shoulder, and all of a sudden, the voice whispers in my ear, that's my favorite picture of the Grateful Dead Deadheads. And I was like, I know that voice, and I turn around, and right in my face, Bill Graham's face, whispering in my ear. I go, oh my God. I go, hey, Bill. He's like, hey. We, I don't know, we chat, chit-chatted for about a couple minutes, and I was so freaked out about it. I was freaked out about it the whole show, and I went to the beer garden at halftime, and I got a beer, and I'm walking out thinking I just can't believe I ran to Bill Graham, and what happens? Boom! I literally run into him, and we both lift our heads and look at each other, smile, friend, and just moved on. So ever since that moment, I felt a connection to him, and his death really bothered me. Yeah, no, it was a it was a game changer for sure. I mean, it was just a it was a it was there were so many game changers. I mean, there were so many when you think back to you know to all of the years, and that was one of them because I mean, Bill was all the you know, father times. Yeah, I mean, he 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 really he really pulled so much of it together. You know, I mean, he really was. You know, he was really was. Now, for the people that aren't on the west, uh, here's something that people don't realize, and you know, I, I think Bill Graham's iconic more so on the West Coast, and people on the East Coast probably never, t- he wasn't the promoter, he was the West Coast promoter, you know, for the shows. I think he might have done the Fillmore East show, but for the most part, when you went to a dead show on the West Coast, especially the Bay Area, he's around there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Bill Graham Presents. You know, it's at Bill the top of every ticket. Presents. Bill Graham Presents. It's at the top. Yep, yep. Absolutely. No, I mean, it really, and again, this is kind of West Coast-centric, but... um. But hey, it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. You got to live on the West Coast, so <laughs> there you go. Hey, I'm, I mean, once we realized, it, I moved from New Jersey to California to Sacramento in eighty uh, in eighty December twenty six eighty seven. Stopped in Oakland, did the New Year shows, moved up to Sacramento, and I realized I can see twenty five shows possibly a year just driving within ninety minutes. Totally. No, I mean it's um I mean it's amazing and you know when I talk to people about experiences and going to dead shows or how many shows I saw which I don't really have a hard number but I think at one point I counted around 100 so mm-hmm. we'll say in that general ballpark between 88 and 95 but that being said that wasn't that hard to do with that many years living in the bay area I mean it was just no. you know that's that was it. That's how that's how that happens. You know, it's like something that you're into and they play. And I don't I, I mean, I don't like the whole, you know, competition and deader than thou and people with count the, the you know, they count how no. many shows. And I mean, no, not my scene. But yeah, no. there's a lot of shows because you just could, you know, I mean, it was um, a lot less effort than people who went on tours on the East Coast. You know, it was just the backyard. Oh. It was amazing. Two runs at Calisto, two runs at the Oakland Coliseum, two runs at Shoreline. I closed um, the Greek. They stopped doing Cal Palace, then they stopped doing Frost. And um, between Calisto, Greek, Oakland, and Shoreline, that was it. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I mean, you probably just you just probably counted up thirty, thirty-five shows in one year, right there. I mean, there was. Oh, I mean, I it did was the Mardi- about 26. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's there was Mardi Gras, there was Chinese New Year, oh, Henry J. Kaiser. I did the Henry J. I did the Henry J. Kaiser at the 
Mardi Gras, that was great. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, there. There was, um, and then the Jerry shows, you know, the Civic Center, the Warfields, I mean, and on and on. You know, it was um, it was an amazing time and place to be able to uh, to have as a memory. Um, it's really special. So in 91, going into 92, uh, my sister and I talked about this. You know, we ran into our cousin, and it was just kind of one of those nights where everything just kind of clicked in. You know, he got us better spots. We sat down below. We didn't even want to leave because we didn't think we could get back. And I just have this, and he snuck us in a couple of beers. Like, I think he said he was going to get us champagne, and he came back with a couple of cans of Coors Light. And nobody had cans. You couldn't bring cans into um the Oakland Coliseum. So just having a can of Coors Light was just amazing. And I just have this <laughs> super clear vision memory of my sister and I nestled in our little spot that uh, that Bobby dropped us off at and nears hitting and having our cans of Coors Light and just the balloons and the lights and the, you know, the the dripping of, you know, the lights dripping off the ceiling. I just recently watched the video um, to to bring myself back to that moment. And to be totally honest, I didn't remember the song at that moment. And on my sister's podcast, I'm pretty sure we played Sugar Magnolia, which was a, a common New Year's song. But it was not Fade Away. And, um, and that was it. Like, they did the uh, the drums, and then they came on, and it just – I don't know. It was like just the accumulation of everything that I associated with a dead show. You know, just the lights, the balloons, the music, the people, the parade. It was just magic. It was just pure, pure magic. Now, we're talking about the balloons that drop from the ceiling, not the balloons that you take in the parking lot. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The balloons that drop from the <laughs> ceiling. No, no, no. No, just the massive balloons dropping, the confetti awesome. going off. It's just, you know, like if you think about, like, you know, what is New Year's Eve? You think about, you know, emojis these days that are created for celebration. I mean, you think about what is a celebration. You think about music. You think about laughter. You think about balloons. You think about confetti. I mean, it was just everything you could possibly put together with, fuck yeah, we're celebrating, and the Coors Light in my hand, which I'm not a beer drinker, but, you know, at 20 years old, it was the fucking bomb, you know, just to have that sealed the deal, you know, it was just, and to be so illicit, you know, we had this, can of beer and no one else did it was um i don't know it was i was absolute magic if you don't like balloon drops you're not human yeah it's yeah it's so special so let's go back let's hear it that was uh that was my second pick so of all of the shows like if i really think back to you know that time and that place and what was so meaningful uh, there it is that was that was like the, the the pinnacle of uh of everything so uh so let's uh, let's let's bring everyone back to uh, New Year's Eve '91 to '92 for a little not fade away. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> okay, enjoy. <laughs>
We just enjoyed Not Fade Away from the closing New Year's show at the Oakland Coliseum, 1991 into 1992. What do we got next? So what do we got next? Well, 92, you know, to 95, yeah, more of the same. I feel like um, I was in my 20s. I started working, kind of got involved in a relationship, and, and I slowed down a little. I would, I would still go to the shows, still go to the Shoreline shows. Still caught some Oakland shows. I mean, I, I would go, but I think that, that that grip, that identity, that I am a deadhead started to kind of fade into the background of, of who I was as a person and a little less in the forefront of who you met when you met me. I think it became, um, it started living more in my soul, but less in my clothes, less in my job, less in my, you know, overall persona. And I think that that, I think that that's, probably natural for a lot of people but I can absolutely say I was one of those people where the again just the the impact of being a deadhead became something where people would find out when you'd be talking to them oh you're a deadhead oh I didn't I didn't realize that as opposed to it hitting you over the head when you first met gotcha so I would say you know that goes through to 95 and then you know of course we all know 95 in August when um Jerry passed, and, and, I mean, that was the ultimate game-changer for the Grateful Dead. Yeah. It, uh, like I said, I was, that was it for me. I was done. Yeah. I think I was, I too. I No, I think I was, too. I think that was the final final. And, and you know, quite honestly, it wasn't, um, you know, I mean, it wasn't even a conscious decision. I think it was just, it was just a, uh, it was just a combination of, you know, that being the closing of an era and, um, yeah, I mean, at that point, I was 1995, I was 22, so, you know, starting the career, the relationship, um, you know, your life just takes its course, and I think at that point, my life just took on that course of of career and family and so on and so forth, and, um, and that course took 20 years, you know, it took me to the East Coast, it took me... You know, marrying my husband, working in the wine and spirits business in California. Then we moved to New England, where his family's from, and have continued to work in the wine business out here. And I, again, I was always a deadhead. You know, I'd always meet new people, and they, you know, I'd show them stickers or pictures, and they'd be like, "Oh, that's cool," you know. But it was never. It was always the music I preferred to listen to. But I really didn't see much of any live music for pretty much the next twenty years. Uh, the only exception I could think of is right before I got pregnant with my son, my friend Lindsay and I did go see Rat Dog at the Calvin Theater in Northampton. And I think seeing Bobby at the Calvin in Northampton in was, yeah, that was it. That was the last one. Crazy. Actually, let me say that. Uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a conscious choice for me either. I didn't realize it until afterwards. He, uh, he passed and I just kept working because at, at this point I, I already had a career that let me um, go see some shows, not as much as I used to be able to. And then I just started focusing on my career, not, not by choice. And then a couple of years later, I realized I never went, I just further, no, congrats dog, no. Because 
I think, I think what, what I would do is I would just keep comparing it to the dairy versions. And I said, I don't want to do that. I go, I have my neat little package of, of my years of the Grateful Dead. That was it. And I want to preserve that. And it's selfish. And I could have had a good time, but I'm happy with my decision. Like it. I think we all have our journey and, and you can't really question it, whether, you know, whether it included seeing, you know, all the different incarnations of the band, seeing further, seeing the dead, seeing the other ones, going to see Rat Dog. I mean, there was so much great music out there, but it just um, it just wasn't in my wheelhouse at that time. And I think it's just, again, a combination of, you know, just life and moving and children and, and all of that stuff. So. That's uh, so you guys got a good little twenty-year break, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us back up to a uh, more current times, and it was fall of 2015. Well, actually, to take a step back, summer of 2015, and I've told this story in the podcast a few times. I did not go to Faraday Well. Um, really wasn't an option for me. I was planning to go to the West Coast around the same dates, and then they played the West Coast, but I got there a week later. So I was, I was bummed. I mean, I was bummed. I really wanted to be there. And then I remember thinking to myself, well, if it sucks, I'm best to miss it. And if it's really good, there'll be more. Like if this is good and it's, it's on and people are connected, I don't think it'll be the last shows. I think, I think something's going to happen afterwards. Yeah. I mean, so, so there you go. Like it was, There'll be more. And um, then after that, they announced the uh, the Dead & Company coming out. You know, even a little bit before they announced the Dead & Company, there was a point in the fall where I was kind of kind of working through something in my life, and the only thing that made me feel better was listening to The Grateful Dead. It was kind of nuts. Like, there was nothing that gave me the, the peace and the, the soothing bomb that I needed than listening to The Grateful Dead. And it, it was it was all the time. I mean, it was it was everything all the time. It was the only thing that I wanted to hear. And that's coming out of somebody who, you know, enjoyed lots of different music. But I, it just became one station all the time starting in October. And uh, and then the, then the data company Worcester came. So it was uh, it all sort of played its hand out. Yeah. So, yeah. So data company Worcester, get tickets. My friend Steve White, hey Steve, friend uh, from my wine business industry, and he comes down and we end up getting to see the show together. And I have like that moment that I really like to think back to. I remember standing at the DCU Center in Worcester. It's my first show really on the East Coast. They're playing and I remember turning to Steve and saying, this is it. I know more about the dead. I love more about the dead than anything I've ever learned about wine, which is my career in the last 20 years. Like, I'm home. This is it. You know, this is this is where my heart lies. That's where most of our heart lies. And uh, we, we often put, we put it in front of a lot of things in our life sometimes. And, and we're lucky enough that we have family members and jobs and other stuff that understand our, our love and passion for, the, for these events and this music. Yeah, it was just, it was coming home. I mean, it was just coming home from, you know, going into the Marriott in Worcester and, and had that smell, you know, I hadn't smelt that smell in so long. It was a winter show and it was just that smell, that combination of like, you know, weed and patchouli and sweat, right? Like that, the whole Marriott just smelled like that smell when I walked in, maybe a touch of incense mixed in. And uh, yeah, and just the show and being there and, and 
and the songs. I mean, I remember just Uncle John's band just really speaking to me and Ramblin' Rose really speaking to me and Terrapin really speaking to me. I mean, as much as I don't have those specific song site memories from you know, going to the Grateful Dead shows when I was uh, younger, when I think about like the Dead and Company and, and where I was, you know, now on the other side of 40 of my life, it's quite the opposite. Like they really resonated with me. It was really meaningful. Wow. There's just so much. There's so much. And honestly, thinking about that show, it was kind of tough to pick which, which song. Um, but I went with Ramblin' Rose because I remember... I remember getting back to my hotel room and looking up, looking it up and realizing that there's this, uh, there's this website called, uh, which I do still now, um, Setlist FM. And I was fucking blown away. I started looking up the lyrics and looking at, you know, what the setlist was and reading through the lyrics. And, um, I just couldn't believe that you could like leave a show, go back to your room and then just like see exactly what you just saw. It's like two hours later. It was, I mean, amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Setlist FM is my favorite. Yeah, it's, I, I discovered it for the first time that night, and I remember just like going through. And with Ramblin' Rose, I remember just wanting to read each lyric about it. And as I just said a little bit ago, I was kind of you know grappling with some things in my life. Um, and it was the lyric, "The grass ain't greener, the wine ain't sweeter, either side of the hill." And that was it. Like that was my lyric <laughs> for a while. You know, that's what got me through, like to the other side. Is just you know, it, it penetrated, and um, so that's the song I chose. Again, it could have easily been Uncle John's band with, you know, Are You Kind and Don't Tread on Me. I remember those moments, and absolutely Terrapin offered a ton of inspiration, but I'm, I, I went with Ramblin' Rose just because, I don't know, that line was, was uh, it really carried it with me. Can't wait. Yeah, so let's go back. Let's intro a little Dead and Company into this podcast. Let's listen into uh, the boy singing in uh, Worcester. This is the Come beginning back. of the this is the beginning of the tour. The first tour. This is the beginning. They're ironing out some stuff here, but I think they I think they kicked off pretty good in 2015. To tell you the truth, I don't have a single complaint. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so so good. It was awesome. So, uh, yeah, well, let's listen to it, and then uh, then we'll come back, and, and that's kind of where the podcast comes in, and a um, lot more, a lot of meat on the bones post-November uh, 10th, 2015. I'm
Well, we are back from listening to Ramble on Rose. Okay, now now it just gets like now there's a lot. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and like trim my stories down, or else this podcast could be like three fucking hours. And anyone who's listened yep. to this podcast or knows me knows I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who knows me it knows that I don't I don't shut up, so I'm making it work, so I'll just keep quiet. No, 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 you're doing great. You know, it's funny. I was thinking, gosh, as we're making this podcast, I've talked so much more on this podcast than I normally do because I really want to hear people's stories. For a minute, I just felt kind of self-conscious, like, Jesus, all I'm doing is talking. And then I had to think, well, this is my story. It's my chance to talk. Of course, it's your story. <laughs> this is my I'm story. Sorry I stepped on it. No, no, I'm, uh, I know there's no one I would want to be sharing this story with more. So, um, right. but for anyone, I just was like, Jesus Christ, I'm talking more than I ever do in any of these podcasts. So it's pretty, it's well, just, it's your podcast. Oh, it's so fun. So fun. The memories are so fun. So we get back from November. I end up going back home for uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's and catch the Civic Center cat and with Morgan and with my girlfriend, Liz. Hey, Liz, and my sister and brother-in-law, and that was just awesome. I mean, the Civic Center is just such a beautiful venue, and, um, you know, we got to go see him at home there in San Francisco, and, yeah, I was like, it sealed the deal. Like, it was the second show on that tour that I got, and I was like, I, you know, I'm in. And I remember having a, a couple drinks maybe in February with my girlfriend, Erin Taylor, Hey, Aaron. And uh, we were having some drinks in February. And I was like, you know, this stuff is just, it is, it's so good that if they announce a 2016 tour, I'm going to do as much as I can. Like, I'm going to just, I, I'm going to push it, you know, time and money. This is it. This is a priority. And I'm in. I'm all in. So I was like primed up and ready to go. Like, I'm, I'm ready to see, bring it. Like, you bring it on and I'll be there. So the next part of the story is kind of where the podcast comes in. So I you know some people know the story of the podcast, but not everybody. So I'm gonna uh, gonna explain where Strangers Stopping Strangers really all came to be, and it's a pretty cool story. So now we are in uh, May of 2016, and I'm I'm like I'm in, I'm on it, I'm all in. Talking to Wendy, who I mentioned earlier from you know high school, and uh, still one of my very best friends, and we're on the phone, and I'm telling her a story that I'm thinking of. I'm thinking about uh, Jerry Garcia observation and him and the juxtaposition about him and Harry Nilsson's life. And I don't know if I was to ever write a thesis, this would be on. She's like, you know, you love this music so much and you love to talk. I mean, you're a salesperson. You talk to people, you love meeting people, you love talking to people. Like that's, that's who you are. You should do something, you know, you should do something. The idea came up with a documentary. You should make a documentary. And I was kind of like, you know, all right, sure, I'm going to make a documentary. I've got, you know, no money, no experience, a full-time job, two children, live in Western Massachusetts. Sure, let's just go make a documentary. <laughs> Sounds great, but pretty far-fetched. So she's like, I feel it. you got to do something. So I ended up sending out a couple of emails. The second email I sent was to Dennis McNally. And Dennis McNally, you know, was the publicist for The Grateful Dead for 10 years. He wrote several amazing books. And I had read one of his books. And at the end of his website, there was a little contact me. So I sent him an email, you know, inspiration moved me brightly, that I have an idea and I want to do something and, and I wanted some feedback. Well, he emailed me back. We emailed a little bit and we made a time to talk. It was like just God smocked, like, okay, I'm going to talk to him. 
So we chat on the phone for a little while. He, he couldn't have been kinder. He couldn't have been, you know, more supportive. And at this point, it had gotten boiled down to a podcast. And bear in mind, I had never even listened to a podcast. Somebody had, I don't even remember how it went from documentary to a podcast. I didn't even know what a podcast was. But um, I'd heard the word, but never listened to any. And it was just a more digestible concept. So I said, you know, what do you think of this? And he said, sure, why not? You know, you, you like to talk. Sure, go for it. Why not? What do you got to lose? And that was it. You know, that was, that was the inspiration that I needed, just that, that green light to go for it. Everything that happens about these, I've noticed in a lot of these stories that everything that happens is, is just so natural the way, it, the way it goes. It's like no effort involved. It's like just things unfold for it. Yeah, like just green, like hitting a series of green lights, you know. So then comes in my friend Lamar that I mentioned earlier, who is still one of Wendy's you know, core friends. And Lamore was that girl at the show that was like just that creative girl. She was, you know, always doodling and just really, really talented and very whimsical and just had like a really special core to herself, Very art, just a born artist. So Wendy says, you should get in touch with Lamore. She'll do the website. Reconnect with Lamore after, I don't know, close to 30 years. She designs the website and she creates the logo. And creating the logo was really important to me because I didn't want to do anything that was having to do with a trademark Grateful Dead piece of artwork. I wanted her to commission something special, something that, that would be stranger stopping strangers, that wouldn't be something that was someone else had used. So I have to say, I mean, the, the, when people say oh, that artwork is beautiful, I'm like, yeah, it's fucking beautiful. I didn't make it. Lamar made it. Lamar, I sent her some pictures and some images, and Lamar is just so creative and so wonderful. So she put up the website, got all of the feelings, all of the vibes, and made the logo, and uh, we were on our way. If I'm on the Internet or not, I see your logo every day because you gave me a magnet sticker, and it's on my refrigerator. I just love it. I just think it's so beautiful, and I'm, I'm just I'm so grateful for Lamar for making it. So that's it. So we're like, we got the website, we got the podcast. Now the next thing is like, how the fuck do you make a podcast, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I've never really listened to them. I don't even know what an MP3 is. I I got I got nothing. So I tell Wendy that she needs to be the first guest, and and Wendy is an artist as well. Um, you know, her and I talk on the phone all of the time, but the idea of, like, doing an interview was, was pretty daunting, and uh, I've gone back to it, and it, it does make me happy to listen to it, but, I mean, in terms of the actual sound quality, it was, like, cell phone to cell phone on, like, a call recorder, and, um, yeah, it was pretty raw, but uh, I told Wendy, you know, you're the one who gave me the idea, you're first up to bat, it's uh, your podcast. And actually, looking at stats, Wendy is the most downloaded podcast because she's the first one. So it's pretty cool. So the podcast is up and running, and the next thing is uh, to start meeting some strangers. And, and that worked out really well because, you know, Dead and Company was coming up, so... My girlfriend Erin and I flew down to North Carolina, and I met some cool people there, and then we were able to uh, catch the SPAC show where I met you, right? Strangers Stopping Strangers, yeah, yeah. Magnet, you know, it's where we met, and uh, and it was kind of off and running. and uh, Kind of surreal. We were two strangers stopping each other on the lawn up, up on the top there, and uh, from there it was all beauty. Exactly, and, and, that, and that was the, I mean, I... It, and that's that's the goal. That's the that's the essence. That's the, you know, that's really the essence of what I wanted to do. And and you and I talking, you know, 14 months later is 
you know, it's a stranger stopping strangers and then having connections and being friends. And it's, um, we're, we're actually friends. Like, like I want to tell you this the other day, we're actually like friends, friends, like, like it, we, it, it's beyond the music. Like we're, we have a friendship. Yeah. So are, are, are you still pulling, are you still pulling possible interviews from the crowd? I mean, that's how you got mine. Mm, I'm trying to think. Possibly. I mean, honestly, there's been so much with social media. There's so many people that I've met that it's been way more on that front. If I look through the list, yeah, I'm trying to think of people that I met over the summer. Um, I met this amazing family that I would really like to get on the podcast in Saratoga that had the boss. That was the family that were in the boss um, that traveled together. We've been in touch about doing something. Um, There was this amazingly cool couple in Shoreline that I had talked about doing something with her, but um, but now it's just been kind of more more online. Um, I mean, more people that I've connected with online and then talked online and then messaged online and then been like, you know, you should come on the podcast. So I would say it's come, it's come more from that. But I'm totally open to anything, you know. I mean, however it works is however it's supposed to work. Yeah. Yeah, it's so fun. I'm so blessed. I mean, I, I just I just wish I could do one every week. I just wish I had the time. I mean, it, it really is my favorite thing in the world is meeting people and talking to people and, and getting this all out. It makes me it makes me so happy. Um, it, it really does. We do what so we th- do what we love. We do what we love. It's a creative force, and uh, it's beautiful. I'm happy with you. Yeah, I always say I'm happy for you. It's like no, I'm happy with you. I don't know. How, I can't be happy for you. I'm happy, and I'm happy with you. Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's everything. So let's see. So I got two more songs. I'm going to get, I'm going to lead us up to the day. So I've got two more stories I'm going to share and two more song selections. I was only going to do one more, but I decided to, uh, to add them both. So I think the next probably pivotal thing in the journey that, that just kind of speaks to something that switched with me was uh, when my girlfriend Liz came out to go see Bob Weir at the Capitol Theater. So this was October 16th, just this past year, 2016, and Liz came out for a uh, special weekend to go see Bobby, and uh, we stayed down in Connecticut, and like that was the the vacation was centered around that. And at this point, I had made some friends, met up with my friend Deb there. Hey, Deb. Deb's been a, a shout out on several of the podcasts. And uh, we get to go to the show, and it was the first like general admission small show I had been to. And, you know, the Capitol Theater is, is, I mean, it's so cool for anyone who's been there in um, in Westchester, in New York, in Port Chester. I remember, like, going in with Liz and then, like, going in and then, like, going farther in and then going farther in and being, you know, two or three out from the stage and seeing Tiny Dancer dancing around and running into Ron Cohen, who I'd become friendly with, and suddenly just being, you know, at the Capitol Theater right up front, and it's his birthday, and they do the cake, and... And just there was this magic of just being right there, you know, like not just there, but right there. I wouldn't go as far as to say I was on the rail, but I was, you know, maybe two or three deep in. But it was I could just feel the energy of what was happening on the stage. It sunk in, you know, it just became like a a new addiction, really. You know, it's like I, I need a fix for, you know, not just being at the shows and not just hearing the music, but I think after the Capitol Theater that night, it was like, I not only want to be there, but I want to be there. And uh, and it's a feeling I, I really haven't been able to shake ever since. I, I get it. You need to tell Bobby that you lived in his house. That might be an in. I'm He'd not saying, like, you need to do that, but, I mean, it's kind of intriguing. 
oh, I would love to meet Bobby one day and tell him that I live in his house. And I will meet Bobby one day. I mean, I'll meet, I know meet Bobby will. when the time is right at the right place at the right time. Because and, and I'm a huge Bobby fan. And getting to see him on his tour with his, um, you know, with his album release and his songs. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was so much fun. It was, it was, and just being there again, just like seeing him being connected. So I picked out Eyes of the World from that. It was just great. I mean, Eyes of the World is always one of my favorite songs, always meaningful. So uh, let's go back to the Capitol Theater. It was Bobby's 69th birthday. And here, Little Eyes of the World, we'll come back with, a, with like a one more story and one more song. Awesome. I have not heard Bobby sing solo yet. Enjoy.
for that uh, campfire tour version of eyes of the world and uh, we move on we move on now it's going right so now the podcast is going sometimes once a week sometimes every other week um, the social media all the people I've met I mean it's, it's become part of my life and it's it is the, like one of my favorite parts of my life it's it's pretty amazing and uh, so we're going along and I've met all kinds of incredible people I met um, Geraldine who was on the podcast recently and sunshine and have met with Dennis several times and then I have a lunch and coffee when I've been in San Francisco and you know I gotta say like this community has just been so welcoming so just a really authentic group of people I mean every most everyone I've met has just been really positive really welcoming and um, and it's just been really special I'm, I'm all in at this point and I uh, really, I mean, that's kind of comes towards the end of the story that leads me today. But I, I do want to add one more song in. And uh, this kind of goes back to me saying, you know, after seeing Bobby at the Cap, I was obsessed with being, you know, right there in front of the band. So I see some J-Rad shows. I see Dark Star Orchestra. Like, I see some other uh, live music. It's just so fun. But at this point, i got to be down there. Like, I've got to be there. I've got to be up front. Summer tour of 2017, I got out to Shoreline, which was just incredible, you know, going back home, going back to the, the, the house that Bill Graham built, you know, getting to be with Kat and my friend Rebecca and Liz is there, and my sister's there and Chris. And it was just so amazing going back to, you know, back to my roots and back to Shoreline. And I loved everything about the shows, except for the fact that I couldn't be up front. 
I loved them. They were great. They sounded awesome, and I enjoyed my spot on the lawn and and kind of almost got up front with Gerilyn. I got into the front one section with her, and I got a little bit in the seats with Peter White, who I met up there. But I, you know, I was I was there, but I wasn't able to get all the way there. And uh, and I think I really enjoyed the shows, but like this, like one little part of me that was just this compulsive wanting to get up front was wasn't wasn't in place. So then we go to Fedway, and my sister comes out, and Liz comes out, and I mean, the Fedway shows were amazing, and, and again, I don't have GA seats, but I managed to sneak down. Huh. <laughs> I managed to sneak down, and I get to the floor, and the second night, I'm with my friend Steve White that went to the first show in Worcester with me, and he has fucking awesome seats. He's in, like, the last seat before the GA so I, Steve steps me down, I get up front, and I'm one row away from the GA, and I'm a fairly small woman, and uh, these guys pick me up and put me down on the floor. It was fucking awesome. So <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah, the, put I didn't over. do it. These guys just picked me up and put me here. They picked me up and put me over. Yeah, and then I like I crawled back over for like the um, set break, and then the beginning of the second set starts, and I'm like, "Let's go, boys!" And they pick me up and put me back down again. Uh, oh my god, it was just so awesome. It was so it was just where I needed to be, and uh, and it's so fun, and and so fun being with those other people. I have like a really fun memory of this a picture of this guy, and I don't remember his name, but we were like dancing and hanging out together down front. Um, O'Teal side, you know, maybe two or three in, and uh, and at the end I said, you know, thanks for sharing your space with me. I don't have a, a you know, I don't have a wristband, but um, thank you. And he was like, oh, I don't have a wristband either. I have no idea where my fucking seats are for this place. It's just, you know, it's just, it's everything, right? You know, you just meet those people, yeah. and everyone makes room. Everybody shares. Everyone's, you know, for the most part, um, like no other, you know. So this is the birth of a rail runner. This is, folks, this, this is how people become rail riders. And I always wonder why these people, it's like, once they get to the rail, they didn't, once you go rail, you never go back. It doesn't rhyme with back. But I'm telling you, these people, that they're, they're, they're fixated on the rail. Now you're one of them. I'm so happy with you. Yeah, I am. And, it's, and again, it's like, it's, 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 a, it's a bittersweet situation because I get so much out of it, but then I, I like, I, I like need that again. It almost feels like some sort of an addiction. Like it's like a, you know, where like I'll get my fix, but I don't fully get my fix unless I'm. And it doesn't have to be the actual rail. I just have to be again a cu- upfront part of it where I can see. You know, I went. You want to be in, you want to be in Bobby's spit zone? Does he still do that? Bobby's spit yeah. Zone? I want to be in the spit zone. I want to. I, that's yeah. it exactly. I don't need to be on the rail, but I want to be in no. the spit zone. I want to be part of it. I want to. No, you might get you know, sprayed a couple a couple lines back. You might get them. I, I, I want to be connected, you know, and, and I, again, I've met so many cool people through that, through just that, that group, because it's all the same group that wants to be, you know, up there. So that's, um, that's been a whole nother, like, super cool part of it. And, uh, you know, saw J-Rod in Greenfield and got right up there and, and in the Capitol Theater with my sister and got right up there and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's gone on and on. But, uh, the final, the final, like, story I'll tell about my, uh, my new becoming of the, uh, the rail riding adventure is, uh, when I got to City Field. And City Field, I was legitimately able to buy a G8 ticket. So I was so fucking pumped, right? How much was, was like, that G8 ticket? It was, it was 145. 
You know, I was able to buy face value. Yeah, it was face value. They did a second release of face value. Um, And I'm not anywhere going to spend four or five, six hundred dollars for these seats. But when they did the second wave of release of GA, it was one hundred forty five bucks. I was like, well, yeah, that's it. I'm in. Let's do it. So I go meet Deb, who, you know, has become a really good friend of mine in New York, and we end up meeting up there, and, and the show begins, and I was like, yeah, I'll catch you later. I'm good. Like, I'm going in. And I got to meet Doug Clifton, who is hopefully going to be a guest one day soon on this podcast because he must have the most amazing stories. And, I mean, he is at every show, everywhere, every time. And so I, I run into Doug, and he makes a little spot for me. Yeah, I mean, the show was just amazing. And uh, they opened up with Dancing in the Streets. I have just fallen in love with not just Dancing in the Streets, but the version of Dancing in the Streets, that real, like, throwback Cornell. Um, oh, it's just it's so good. And uh, yeah, it was like the song of the summer for me. You know, I kind of started feeling it in, in May and then, you know, hearing it in June and, and uh, being right there in the pit for dancing in the streets was just, um, I don't know. It was everything. You know, I got that video. I got that video. And you know what? For you, I'm going to post it today up on Facebook. I love that version. I almost threw it up the other day. The city, oh, the city version it. of, uh, oh, We'll, we'll watch the video later. It was it was it was so good. Yeah, so that that there you go. That's last June, and you know here we are in the end of September, fiftieth podcast, and who knows? You know, like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's next. But um, use your intuition, like you have, because you have great intuition. This is really helpful in, in everything that you. The way you sell. I mean, you've been a successful salesperson. You're successful in doing this, and you can't be the successful unless you're tuned into what people like and you have intuition. And, and, and you have the intuition, and whatever comes next, I promise you, it's just going to fall on your lap. You just have to recognize the signs. You talked about the green lights. you got to recognize the signs. The signs are out there. you got to be aware. There's something waiting for you, I promise. Well, I'm a, I, you know what? I'm just enjoying the ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, um, let's do a sign-off on the talk now, and then I'll do the big uh, dancing in the streets. For everybody who's tuned in to the 50th episode of Stranger Stopping Strangers, for anyone who's tuned in before, is tuning in for the first time now, who got to hear Michael's podcast number 12, who is, uh, yeah, is listening. I mean, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for enjoying. Thank you for contributing. Thank you for being part of this experience. Thank you to anyone who sent me a note, whether it's on social media, an email, um, encouragement to anybody sending me an email and saying, hey, I want to be on the podcast. A few of my guests have come out that way. I mean, you know, it's about the community. It's about it's about everyone. It's about you. It's about people I haven't met, the people I have met. It's about the music. It's about, you know, the Grateful Dead back in, you know, my early days up through, you know, the amazing incarnations and iterations of the bands that we get to see and will continue to see. So, you know, that's... that's I, want to, I want to take this, more, this, this time to... And I'm sure I speak. I'm going to speak for everybody that 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 listens to you. That we thank you. We thank you for opening up yourself and getting other people to open up. Because not everybody wants to open up. And you and you're you're showing us so many different wonderful aspects and perspectives of people's lives in the Grateful Dead. And just for everybody that's ever listened, we're thanking you right now. <laughs> oh, well, thank. Well, I, uh, I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely a project of passion. And, and as I like to say, without love and the dream, it'll never come true. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's really special. Well, I'm like, I have a guy I'm getting really, I'm getting a uh, flip So let's, uh, let's sign it off, man. Let's go out. 
Let's leave with a Dancing in the Streets from uh, City Field, June 24th. And all I can say is um, I'm just so excited for the future experiences, the fall tour, playing in the sand. Woohoo! There's so much fun shit to look forward to. So, woohoo! Bye! Bye! Come on, come on, I'm
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.